Well, hello again. This is Buck Betting speaking. We have a great episode of Zero Hour for you tonight. This one is in stereo, so you might want to put on your headsets. It's um, fun to listen to it that way. And uh, it also, it stars <coughs> John Aston, who plays Gomez Adams in The Adams Family. It also stars Patty Duke Aston, who's better known as Patty Duke in the 60s and the 50s, and she was probably most famous for being on the Patty Duke show, where she played identical cousins. Crazy as that sounds. Um, she has been a actress, a well-known actress for decades, and he also, both of them are still around. Also, our friend Howard Duff is on this episode as well. So, uh, in the interview we played of him last time, he mentioned that he did two episodes of uh, Zero Hour, and these are the two, this one, and uh, the one he was in a couple weeks ago. So, uh, pretty cool to have him back again, and in a stereo presentation. So, without further ado, enjoy Patty Duke Aston, John Aston, and Howard Duff in this wonderful episode of Zero Hour. And just if you're wondering, yes, Patty Duke Aston and John Aston are married. They were married in 1972. So this is about a year into their marriage that they do uh, this presentation. Uh, they uh, aren't currently married. They divorced in 1985, I believe. Um, but they have a couple kids together and so forth. Anyway, enjoy. Bye. The Hollywood Radio Theater. J.M. Colas Enterprises production, The Hollywood Radio Theater, presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday, The Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Bill S. Ballinger's best-selling novel of the pursuit of a damned couple. The wife of the red-haired man. Starring Patty Duplaston. John Astor. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. This week's story draws its title from an ancient Irish poem. Here's the last verse. But the day of doom shall come and the hills and harbors be rent. A mist shall fall on the sun from the dark clouds heavily sent. The sea shall be dry and the earth under mourning and ban. 
Then loud shall he cry for the wife of the red-haired man. It's the tale of the hunted and the hunter, the pursuer and the pursued, the stalking of life and death. Do you believe, as I do, that the hunter and his quarry build an empathy between them? A sympathy? As the chase builds toward the inevitable conclusion, is it possible that, subconsciously, they become aware of each other's moves, counter-moves, plans, even emotions? There are two individuals who will tell you that's so. The poet and the cop. Our story begins after this word. Picture this. A windy, rainy November night in New York City. A man about 30. His most identifiable feature, a crest of flaming red hair, stands in a public telephone booth. is East Vandu's Place, a small exclusive street near the river, where large apartments cost a lot of money. Inside one of them, a married couple, Albert and Mercedes Turner. You're very quiet. What? Oh, am I? I'm sorry. Would you care to tell me who called? It wasn't anyone. I heard you asking questions. You told someone this was the Turner house. You said another name. What was it? I've forgotten. It wasn't anything. It couldn't have been. You lie badly. And you lie a great deal of the time. Don't, Albert. Please don't bait me. The door. Yes. Hmm. Shall I? No. No, I'll get it. Hello, Mercy. You. It is you. Oh, you. You. I tried to warn you. I called, but then I lost my nerve. I froze. Mercy. Mercy. Mercedes? Who's at the door? Mercedes? Come in, Hugh. Who is it? it it's someone who... 
Albert, it's someone... It's all right, Mercy. It's all right. Well, if you're through kissing my wife, come in and let me get a look at you. Come in, darling. Come in. Well, introduce us, my dear. I'm Hugh Rohan. Am I supposed to know you? Mercy, didn't you tell... Hugh's my... I thought he'd been killed in Vietnam. Rohan. Of course, that's the name you said on the phone. The last time I saw Mercy, she was my wife. Your wife? Mercedes, is that so? Yes. I was Hugh's wife. Long ago. (laughs) Did you just forget to tell me, my dear? Slip your mind, did it? That you were already married when you jumped into my bed? Don't talk to her like... I wasn't married. I'd obtained an Enoch Arden decree. You divorced me? Well, then, at least you're not a bigamist. Whatever else you might be. Why, Mercy? Why did you Seven years, Hugh. They said you were missing in action, presumed dead. I waited seven years, darling. For a con. What? (laughs) You waited seven years for a convict. Missing in action? (laughs) Don't make me laugh. (laughs) Hugh, what does he mean? I mean he's a con. He has the stink of prison all over him. Haircut, prison-issue shoes. Unless he's anemic, he hasn't seen the sun all those seven missing-in-action years. What's he talking about, Hugh? Put that phone down. Oh, my dear phony fellow, it's my duty as a public-spirited citizen to tell the police there's an escaped con in my living room. Put it down. If you come near me, I'll blow your head off. Put that gun away, Albert, please. Please, put the gun away. Operator. Albert? He's dead. You shot him. He was going to call the police and spoil it. I waited seven years, Mercy. Seven years! But he's dead. What will happen to us? I don't remember if I'd ever seen a dead body before. But Hugh faced the matter as though it were almost commonplace. He hung up the phone, which had fallen to the floor, and then closed Albert's eyes. He would have separated us again. I couldn't let him do that. Was it true? What he said about you? No. We can't stay here. And we'll leave. You take what you need and we'll leave together. No. Not yet. What? I can't leave until tomorrow. We'll need money. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I'll stay with you until morning. No, you have to leave now while it's dark. Otherwise, someone might see you. But what about him? We'll put him in his room. The maid comes at 10 o'clock. We don't want her to find him right away. All right. Where do you want him? His bedroom. I better answer it. It might be the operator. 
Maybe she traced his car. Where's, where's this bedroom? Through that door, the room on the, on the right. Oh, if that's the operator, tell her everything's fine. We were playing a game and the phone fell off the table. Hello? Al? What? Al there? Albert? Did you want to talk to Albert? Let me talk to Al. Who is it? Is that the operator? Someone wants to speak to Albert. Not Albert, Al. What's the matter? Are you drunk? I want to talk to Alan. Alan Fox. My goodness, can't you understand a simple request? Alan Fox. That's it. You have a wrong number. There's no one here by that name. Oh, I'm most extremely sorry. I thought it was someone... I don't know, someone who heard us or saw us through a window. I was frightened. It's all right. Everything's all right now. We're together. Yes. And we'll always be together because that's how it was meant to be. Go now, while it's dark. I'll get the money in the morning. Then come to the rooming house where I'm staying. Here's the address. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. All right. In the morning... Not every detective working on a murder in New York City belongs to the homicide squad. A detective from the precinct where the killing occurs is also assigned to it. East Vanda's place is in the 19th, and therefore the report of Albert Turner's death came over our desk, and I went out on it. The medical examiner and the technical services crew were already there when I arrived. Williams, over here. Hey, you precinct guys sleep in or what? It's almost noon. Only got it half hour ago. When did homicide here? Half hour ago. I just got here. Mm. Oh, this is quite some beautiful layout. Yeah. It's class. Real dough. Who reported it? The maid, Thelma Jordan. She found the body. Uh, Miss Jordan? Turner's her boss. She'll tell you about it. Yes, Mr. Scores. This is Detective Williams here, Miss Jordan, 19th Precinct. He'll be working with me on this. Hello. Uh, tell me where you found Mr. Turner. Well, the poor man was in his bedroom. I thought he was asleep, lying in bed, covers all drawn up. He left her alone? Oh, no, sir. They are married. Is it Mrs. Turner? Oh, yes, indeed. Well, where is she? Well, I'm sure I don't know. She wasn't here this morning when I came in. She at work? Oh, no, sir. She don't work. Well, isn't Mr. Turner usually up and around? Oh, yes, sir. But this morning, Miss Turner left me a note. Here. Let me see that. Thelma, Mr. Turner wasn't well last night. Don't awaken him. He needs the rest. <laughs> Mercedes Turner. Why'd you finally try to wake him? Well, his office called. Said it was urgent. I went into the bedroom and he was lying there. Okay. Thanks. Were you here last night, Miss Jordan? No. No, last night was my night off. I stayed with my folks. Okay. Thanks. You can go. Leave your things, though, will you? Until we've checked everything. Yes, yes, thank you. Dr. Branch from the medical examiner's office. He's with the body. What do you suppose happened to Mrs. Turner? I can't even guess. Morning, Will. Doc, what happened? One shot straight in the ticker. 
fully clothed, suit, shoes, lying under covers. Tell me, Doctor, did you close the eyes? No, but somebody did. Who? His wife? Remind me to ask her when we find her. Also, how come she didn't notice a dead husband in the bedroom? This is a man's room. Apparently, they had separate bedrooms. How long has he been dead? It's a guess. I'd say since around midnight. Another guess for you, Doc. Possible suicide? Yeah, negative. No powder stains in the front of his shirt. There's at least none I can find without a microscope. Besides, when I... There's no gun. That's right. There is one. We haven't found it yet. Uh, Another thing. You'll notice that not much bleeding. Probably shot someplace else, then placed in the bed. Any idea where? Uh, Possibly. The technical boys found something in the living room. Oh? What? Possible blood stain on the rug. They clipped the sample and they're going to check it. Mm, near the bar by the phone. Yeah. Shot as he was calling someone? Maybe. You know, when I got here, this chair had been pulled up to cover that stain. The boys nearly missed it. Yeah. Oh, uh, Miss Jordan? Yes. Uh, listen, does Mrs. Turner have a book where she keeps phone numbers, you know, uh, stores, shops, beauty parlor, places where she might be this morning? Yeah, I'll get it. A- and would you uh, check her things for us, see if anything's missing? Yeah, right, right away. Where do you suppose she is, Will? Hmm? I don't know. Can't even guess. Think maybe something's happened to her? It's possible, Scores. It's very possible. <laughs> so suddenly. All of it. Hugh returned from the dead, holding me in his arms. Suddenly we were young again and innocent. Then Albert began saying those terrible, threatening things. Of course Hugh had shot him. If I'd had a gun, I would have too. Hugh killed him for me, really. Now we had to get away. I couldn't sleep that night. Alone in the apartment with Albert's body. In the morning, I gathered some clothes, including my fur coat, left a note for Thelma Jordan, the maid, and hurried to the bank. Mrs. Turner, good morning. How nice to see you. Good morning, Mr. Forrest. How may we serve you? Is Mr. Turner feeling well? Oh, yes, thank you. Would you cash this check for me? Yes, certainly. Are you closing your account? I wouldn't dream of it. No. If you promise you won't tell Albert. Not a word. Well, I'm being terribly extravagant. I simply can't resist a lovely new car, and I promise to pay the difference in cash. And surprise Albert. Exactly. Of course. Oh, and uh, while you're getting the cash, I promised Albert I'd bring him some papers he left in our safe deposit box. The money will be here when you get back. Thanks so much. Mercy? 
Oh. Oh, mercy. Oh, Hugh. My love. Come in. Leave the bag where it is. Here, here. Let me have your coat. Where have you been? I, I, I thought... I thought it's too good to be true. She's going to the police. She's told them what happened. No. No, darling. I withdrew money from the bank and took my jewelry from the safe deposit Doesn't box. matter. Doesn't matter. You're here. That's all that's important. Seven years, Mercy. I waited seven years to be with you. Seven empty years. I, I just don't seem to be able to function without you. Hugh. What did Albert mean? When he called you a convict? Oh, nothing. Forget it. Come on. Come here. Come here with me. Here. Here, sit down. Was it terrible? All those years? I told you. I'm not complete without you. Oh, mercy. We can't stay here, darling. The police will be looking for us. I know. You? Yeah. I felt the same way. Incomplete. All the while you were gone. You're all I, I've ever really had, my darling. You're everything that makes me warm and soft. Oh, you. There are certain procedures you set in motion after an homicide. You look at the deceased's enemies. You question everyone who might know something about what happened at the time of the crime. You make sure the lab is checking fingerprints and possible blood stains, lost bits of hair, anything and everything. In my job, you're trying to solve a puzzle. When you first begin, there's nothing there. Yes, sir, I, I certainly will. Who was that? The commissioner. Want to know what we have? They're asking questions upstate, you know. Well, tell me, Will. What has the 19th been able to come up with in how long? Six hours since we got the call? Well, we have a dead man and a missing wife. I called the phone numbers the maid found for me, beauty parlor and such. No one's seen her for the last day or so. The lab's pretty sure Turner was shot in the living room. They think that bloodstain near the phone will match his type. That's great. Turner's shot in the living room near the phone... With a bullet in his heart, he walks into the bedroom and gets settled down under the covers, which is where he expires. Yeah. Impossible. And there's no gun in that apartment. Suicide is definitely out. Which leaves us at square one. Someone shot Turner in the living room, carried him to the bedroom, shut his eyes, then left the premises for who knows where. That, uh, that someone being Mrs. Turner, huh? That's all we have at the moment. Well, maybe we got a little more, Will. What do you mean? According to the maid, Mrs. Turner's overnight bag is missing, along with a few dresses, shoes and things, mm -hmm. and a fur coat, some bracelets, earrings, etc. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll find the lady. Uh, Mrs. Mercedes Turner. Uh, last seen when uh, last night. Yeah, as far as we know. Doing an overnight bag. For a coat, let's see, uh, height, uh, uh, you got a picture of her? From the apartment, you mean? Yeah, from the apartment. Every dummy in the world has snapshots, weddings, picnics, holidays, trips, whatever. Not this lady. What? We tore that place apart, Will. There is no picture of her. 
We're putting out on all points for Mercedes Turner, and we don't have the faintest idea what she looks like. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, The Wife of the Red-Haired Man. I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. Listening to the Hollywood Radio Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour, heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. This week, in Bill S. Ballinger's The Wife of the Red-Haired Man, Patty Duke Aston is Mercedes, John Aston is Rohan, and Howard Duff is Detective Williams. Featured in the cast are Harold Gould as Detective Scores, Les Tremaine as Turner, Irene Tedrow as Thelma, Benny Rubin as the Doctor. Harry Hickox as Forrest. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is the executive producer and Karen Lee Cohen, associate producer. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hart. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Colas Enterprises production. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again, rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. Radio Theater. Every day at this time, Monday through Friday, a J.M. Colas Enterprises production, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Bill S. Ballinger's best-selling novel of the pursuit of a damned couple... The wife of the red-haired man. Starring Patty Duke John Astor. And Howard Duff. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. The gentleman's name was Hugh Rohan, 
He had a head of red hair, a former wife named Mercedes, and a gun. Believing him a casualty of the Vietnam War, his wife Mercedes had divorced him and married another chap named Turner. Seven years later, enter Mr. Hugh Rohan with his red hair and his gun. He discovers that his young and former wife is suffering a bitterly unhappy marriage, and also as fate would have it, had not informed Mr. Turner of her previous marriage. The not always eternal but frequently violent triangle. Former husband Rohan faces off with present husband Turner, and in a panic, a thirty-two caliber slug eliminates the Turner side of the triangle. Best we mention here that there was evidence Rohan had been a convict, although the red-haired gentleman is somewhat loath to discuss it. Mercedes Turner, with Hugh, flees the premises. With her money and jewelry, she plans to purchase as many days of freedom as possible. Enter now two gentlemen, one named Scores of Homicide, the other Williams of the 19th Precinct. It is Mr. Williams, with a streak of the relentless, who begins a pursuit of the red-haired Hugh Rohan, although at first he's not even aware that Rohan exists. In a moment, he'll try to identify a phantom. But first, this message. Because we didn't have a photograph of Mercedes Turner, scores of homicide interviewed people who knew the woman, and from their descriptions, produced a police artist drawing of her. By nightfall, this picture would be circulated to airlines, bus depots, train stations, shipping agents, everywhere where Mercedes Turner might be seen. Meanwhile, I began to check into the missing woman's background, searching for some clue to her whereabouts. Mercedes Turner's maiden name was Clinton. Her home had been in Mountain Forge, Connecticut. I drove up there. The police station was across the street from the railroad depot. I parked and went inside. It's not a state officer. I needed cooperation from the local police. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm uh, looking for Chief Novak. Speaking to him. You the officer called me from New York? Williams, that's right. Long did it take you? Less than three hours. Too close. We folks here feel about city cops. <laughs> well, I did realize I was in a popularity contest. Uh, Mercedes Turner, you said on the phone. Yes. You know her? Yeah. And she was a little girl. Name was Clinton before she was married. What was she like? Nice kid. Real pretty, lively, blonde hair, big blue eyes. You ever get in any trouble around here? Nope. Caution her once in a while against speeding the mic too fast. Lyman Clinton, her dad, gave her a little yellow car when she first went away to school. Mm-hmm. Drove it all over. Real fast sometimes. Now, you know kids. Yeah. Uh, Clinton's are pretty well off. Uh, don't worry where the next meal's coming from. Yeah. Old family in these parts? Tolerable. Four or five generations. <laughs> Was uh, Mercedes an only child? Yeah. Light of Lyman's eye. Mighty proud of her. Maybe a mite too proud. How's that? I sort of always figured he knew what was best. Nothing good enough for her, in Lyman's view, regardless what she wanted. You believe she uh, shot her own husband? I don't know. What's your opinion? If she wanted to bad enough, she might have. Except one thing don't line up. What I know about Mercedes. What's that? 
Well, she was brung up proper. Knows right and wrong. And maybe she got mad in blazes. Even had good enough reason to shoot her husband. But if she did it, she'd take a medicine. She'd walk in and hand you the gun. Well, you see. You see what I mean when you meet a daddy. We left Hugh's terrible little room hand in hand, like young lovers off on an adventure. I knew we had to get out of the city, and so did Hugh. We took a bus across the river to Jersey City and got off on a bleak street lined with used car lots, garages, auto parts stores, crawling and sprawling beside one another. We bought an afternoon newspaper, ducked into a shabby little diner and ordered coffee. Here it is, see? They found him. Yes. But they don't know about you. They're looking for a woman alone. They're looking for me. Mercy, after I left last night... I took every picture of myself I could find and Albert's gun and threw them away. Ah, that's good. Now... Gotta get away from here. Where should we go? Anywhere. It doesn't matter. Just leave before they find out about me. Yes. I thought we'd buy a car. That's that's good. That's good. The police will expect you to take a plane or a bus or whatever. All right. Wait for me. I'll get a car. Be careful. Be very careful. Chief Novak and I had lunch, and then I called New York and talked to Scores. He got the all-points bulletin out on Mercedes Turner with her description, and was in the tedious business of checking out everywhere she might have gone. Friends, neighbors, stores, everything. So far, he'd come up empty. The woman had simply disappeared. I was approaching the puzzle from the other direction, trying to find a connecting thread from her earlier days. Chief Novak drove me out to her father's house. Big old farmhouse set back from the road by a twisting gravel drive. Huge trees towered over the house like great leafy umbrellas. Come in. Lyman Clinton, the woman's father, was tall and thin, a bit stooped. He had a long, thin face with creases running from cheek to nose. Snow-white hair. He led Novak and me into a study off the big living room. He motioned us to a couple of worn, shiny leather chairs and seated himself behind an old-fashioned roll-top desk. It was a genteel, patrician background for a woman I was beginning to suspect of murder. Chief Novak says you want to talk about my daughter. That's right, Mr. Clinton. Now, before we get started, if I did know anything, I doubt I'd tell you. Furthermore, I'll never believe she shot Albert Turner. Does she have any reason to shoot him? None I know about. Anyone else want to shoot him? No. You hesitated. Just thinking. Would uh, Mrs. Clinton have any information? Quite sure she wouldn't. Miss Clinton's uh, gone now. Buried better than five years. I'm sorry, I didn't realize. Uh, when was the last time you saw your daughter? A couple of weeks ago. Dinner one night in the city. You see her often? My daughter and I are very close. Sometimes she comes up here or else I... I go to New York. When did she marry Albert Turner? A little over a year ago. You have a picture of her? No. Not even a wedding picture? You heard me. I don't like pictures. Well, there's one over there. Mrs. Clinton? Yes. That's the exception. And if you had a picture of Mercedes, you wouldn't give it to me anyway, would you? 
Williams, think maybe we uh, better move along. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for your time, Mr. Clinton. It was while I was buying the car that the questions began gnawing at me. Questions about Hugh. When the war in Vietnam began, Hugh had been one of the first to be drafted. He shipped out very soon after his induction and then... Nothing. No word. No trace. Nothing. The Red Cross helped me, but all we could learn was that he was missing. Missing in action, they said. And then, as years went by, presumed dead. But I waited. And I felt myself drying up. Aging without him. Is this a car? It's not bad. This is it. What name do you use? Mrs. Walter Brewer, Trenton, New Jersey. Slide over. I'll drive. Do you have a license? You've been away a long time. Yours isn't good now either. Has your right name on it. What's the difference? If we're stopped, that's it for both of us. Yes. Nice to be driving a car again. <laughs> I didn't think it would happen. Where are we going? Away. Far, far away. You and me, Mercy. Just the way it used to be. After we left Mercedes Turner's father, Chief Novak had someone else he thought I should see. A woman, Clara Goldwater, who'd been close to Mercedes in high school. Clara was married now, wife of a foundry worker in Mountain Forge. I'll wait here. Their home was a squatting, shapeless bungalow in a shabby, genteel sort of neighborhood. You've seen a million places like it. Battles? Yes. You used to be Clara Goldwater, a friend of Mercedes Clinton? Oh, yes. My name is Williams, New York Police. Chief Novak is out in my car. May I come in? Oh, yes, come in. Hush, hush, Selma. Oh, this time of day she's cranky. Sit down, please. Thank you. What do you want? A little information about... Mercedes Clinton Turner. Whatever for? She's disappeared. Just gone? Something like that. Oh, my goodness. I know you're busy. This won't take long. When did you last see Mercedes? Oh, not in ages. Years. In high school. Then we sort of drifted apart. But you remember her well. Oh, yes. Such a beauty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never say that about me. I was the plain one. But we were real close friends, at least for a while. And then she went her way and I went mine. Settled down here. Uh, you ever meet her husband? Albert Turner? What kind of man is he? Quiet. 
when I saw him. Quiet kind, huh? A kind that broods over things? Did he have something to brood over? Hmm, might have. You think Mercy's in trouble? Real trouble? Yes. She's in a great deal of trouble. Enough to make me break my word? Mrs. Battles, if you know anything at all, you should tell me. Oh, Mercy made me swear. Really, swear on the Bible I'd never tell a soul. Even after Daddy found out about it and broke it up. Yes? Uh, Well, Mercy was married before. Did Albert Turner know that? Well, after it was over, after Daddy broke it up, Mercy wouldn't talk about it, not a word. So I don't suppose Albert Turner did know about it. How long ago did this happen? Oh, long, long ago. Years ago, it seems. Back when the Vietnam War began, back then. They ran away to get married. I was supposed to be a witness, but I couldn't go at the last minute, and they went ahead did it anyhow. Who was the man? Who'd she marry? A boy she met in Prester. Well, she was going to school there? Must have been so long ago. I remember he was poor. And they were both awful young and so much in love. They were going to keep it a secret. Uh, what was the boy's name? His last name was Rohan. Can't recall his first name. Uh, what a pretty picture they made. In what way? Well, she was so blonde and he had red hair, flaming red hair, like he was on fire. <laughs> Hugh drove carefully, partly because he wasn't used to being behind a wheel, and partly so he wouldn't do anything to make a policeman stop us. We drove south without even discussing why. I found myself staring at him, at the flaming red hair, the boyish face, tired now, worn. He must have felt me staring at him because he shifted in the seat to look at me. That's when I saw that he was still carrying the gun in his jacket pocket. Hugh? Yeah? Should you keep the gun? Shouldn't you get rid of it? Uh, no, I... I have to keep it. You'll see. See what? Well, if, uh, If anything happens, if anyone tries to stop us, break us up now that we've found each other again, I may need to use it. Because there's nothing in this world can take can take you away from me again. Hey, remember Rehoboth Beach? Yes, of course I remember. That's where we're going. A second honeymoon, Mercy. It's winter. Will anything be open? <laughs> we don't need more than a room. And the police won't look for us there. All the police are watching for right now is a single woman. They don't know about the car, or the jersey plates in the car, or about me. We're going to have our second honeymoon, Mercy. According to Clara Battles, Mercedes Turner had met her first husband while she was a student at the Bentley Collegiate Institute in Preston. I drove up there and then called New York to tell scores what I'd gotten. So she may not be alone, huh? She could be traveling with this red-haired guy, Rohan. I suspect that's true. Otherwise, why did she run? Well, panic. After spending the night with her dead husband? This isn't a lady who panics. Okay, Will. I'll head him to the APB. Right. I'll be back late tonight or uh, first thing in the morning. Yeah, we'll see you then. Oh, Will. Yeah? Hold up a minute. Something just came in. Hey, what do you know? 
The lady went to her bank this morning, closed her account, and took a bunch of stuff from her safe deposit box. Well, it just goes to prove you can't live on love alone. See you. I pride myself on my ability as a police officer. I like my job, and I think I do it well. I've learned in the years I've been at it that a good cop gets a fix on a suspect, begins to empathize with the suspect, and pretty soon it's as though the person you're looking for was carrying a homing device. You begin to zero in on him. I began to get a feeling about the red-haired man. The Presta Town Constable steered me to a place called the Snack Bar where the Bentley girls hang out after classes. It's run by a nice old man, Clement Beatty. How long we've been here? Oh, my, we've had the place for years. You recall a young fellow hung around here back before the war? Uh, his name was Rohan. A red-haired boy? That's him. Oh, yes, yes. He was with us for about a school year. Worked here in the shop for me and the missus. Why do you want to know? I'm trying to locate him. Where's his family live? Well, seems to me out west someplace. Or middle west, maybe. Hmm. How do you happen to work for you? Well, he was planning to go to Annexter College up in Royal. Came down here to see about a job. Mother and me leave a standing invitation, you know, register his office up there for a deserving boy to help us out. Why was he so far from home? He wanted to be a doctor. And Annexter's one of the best pre-med schools in the country, you know. Yeah. Do you recall a girl at Bentley about that time, Mercedes Clinton, pretty, with blonde hair? She was very close to you. Oh, yeah, sure. Was that her name, Mercedes? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, after Hugh closed the shop, the two of them used to sit back there and talk to all hours. Oh? Uh, you know, young kids in love. Yeah, I recall one night I was cleaning up in the kitchen, couldn't help overhearing them. They were making plans, you know, for the future, how he was going to be a doctor. They were going to have a family. How did it all come out? Not very well, I'm afraid. We rented a tiny cabin at Rehoboth Beach, close by the water. And that night we slept in each other's arms for the first time since you'd gone off to war. I was awakened later. I don't know what time it was. By the sound of a sudden storm. And lying there, I was aware that Hugh was also awake. Mercy? Yes, dear. Why'd you marry Turner? Did you love him? No. Not ever. I married him because... I don't know. You didn't love him? Never. In fact, for the last few months, I've hated him. And wondered how to get away. But you married him. Yes, dear, I married him. Because there no longer was you, and all I wanted from life was to be protected. I didn't want love or pain anymore. Mercy? Yes, dear? He was right, you know. Your husband was right. About what? I was a convict. I am a convict. I escaped from prison last week. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes 
And listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, The Wife of the Red-Haired Man. I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. You've been listening to the Hollywood Radio Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour, heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. This week, in Bill S. Ballinger's The Wife of the Red-Haired Man, Hattie Duke Aston is Mercedes, John Aston is Rohan, and Howard Duff is Detective Williams. Featured in the cast are Harold Gould as Detective Scores, Carl Swenson as Novak, Tyler McVeigh as Clinton, Mary Jane Croft as Clara, and Jerry Hausner as Beatty. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is the executive producer, and Karen Lee Cohen, associate producer. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferrante and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Colas Enterprises production. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow, and once again, rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. Radio Theater. Every day at this time, Monday through Friday, a J.M. Colas Enterprises production, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday, The Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Bill S. Ballinger's best-selling novel of the pursuit of a damned couple... The Wife of the Red-Haired Man. Starring Patty Dugaston. John Astor. And Howard Duff. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. Hugh Rohan, supposedly killed in Vietnam, returns after an absence of seven years to find his wife remarried to Albert Turner. In a confrontation, Rohan, the red-haired man, panics and kills Turner. Mercedes Turner, still in love with Rohan, flees with him. She hurriedly gathers money and her jewels, buys a car, and the two escape New York and drive to Delaware. 
Two detectives, Williams from the 19th Precinct and Scores from Homicide, are assigned to the case. Williams finds that Mercedes Turner was secretly married to Hugh Rohan before her second unhappy marriage to Albert Turner. However, he doesn't know it was Rohan who shot Turner, nor is he yet aware that the fugitive Rohan even exists. But first, this word. I drove back to New York late at night after my Connecticut scouting expedition. I'd found that Mercedes Turner and a young red-haired man named Hugh Rohan had been in love and had gotten married. This confirmed my growing feeling that someone had been with Mercedes Turner when her husband had been murdered. Someone who was with her now as she ran from us. In the morning, Scores was waiting for me with additional medical examiner reports. Albert Turner was shot with a thirty-two, One shot through the heart. Anything on that carpet stain? The one in the living room? It's Turner's blood, all right. So that's where he was shot. Fingerprints? Well, someone cleaned up pretty well, the lab boys feel. You don't say. Yeah, they lifted prints on Turner, the maid, Mrs. Turner, some unidentifieds. But the doorknob, bar surface, phone, all clean of any prints. Hmm. That it? No, one thing more. They picked up a strand of red hair. Texture indicates it's a man's. Now, Thelma Jordan can't recall any visitor to the apartment who had red hair. Yeah. Now, we're not put that number in there. What's up, Will? Maybe on to something. Get on the other phone. Right. Miss Battles? Yes? Uh, this is Detective Williams from the New York City Police. I spoke oh, to you yesterday. Oh, Mr. Williams, the paper says murder. You didn't say anything about murder. Mrs. Battles, tell me. After Mercedes' father annulled her marriage to Hugh Rohan, what happened to Rohan? Uh, the war happened. He went to Vietnam. And what then? I don't know. I guess he got killed over there. Why do you say that? Because Mercy loved you no matter how her father felt. If she remarried, it was because you, Rohan, was killed in the war. All right, Miss Battles. Uh, uh, thank you for your help. Hmm. We found a strand of red hair belongs to a ghost. Yeah, right. The phone yesterday, you said she went to the bank first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Withdrew $4,500 cash. Collected maybe fifty grand in jewels from her safe deposit box. We got a description from the insurance company. And her mink coat, another uh, eight or nine grand? Yeah, probably. All right, send a description of the jewelry to all jewelry stores and pawnbrokers within two days' drive of here. And check out the sale of every new or used car within a couple of hours' drive from here. You think she bought a car? Yes, and I think she's going to start selling her jewels, and I think she's got a red-haired male companion. A ghost, huh? Right, right. I think she's traveling with a ghost. We woke to clear, sunny skies, and Hugh seemed more cheerful than the night before. I wanted him to tell me more about what he'd said. That he was a convict. An escaped convict. Whenever I tried to ask him, he'd sense what I was about to say and avoid me. After breakfast, we left, drove to Fredericksburg, where we were married. Then we found another small vacation cottage nearly deserted by the season.
Come inside. Hugh, what you told me last night. No. I'm not going to ask you any more about it. You'll tell me what happened when you want to. Or not at all. I love you. I have since the day we met. I always will, no matter what. Oh, mercy. Mercy. Look, someday I'll tell you. Someday. But but not just now. Not yet. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cry on our wedding day. Well, you did last time. <laughs> yeah, I did. Because I was so happy. Come on. Let's go inside. Not yet. I want to drive to the drugstore. What you told me last night. What the police might have found. We have to do something about your red hair. Yes. Then even if they're looking for two people, it won't be us. I'll be right back. You wait inside. I'm not a man who believes in ghosts. I recognize that things happen which can't be explained. And I accept the fact that not everything is written out in capital letters so even a small child will understand. But when the lab finds a single red hair from a male human, then a male human with red hair was in the room where that hair was found. Yet all our information led us to the conclusion that the man in question was dead. But there was still an unexamined part of Mercedes Turner's life. Neighbors named Layton, who lived in the apartment above. Well, you can imagine our surprise. We'd been up in New Hampshire skiing, and we hadn't heard any news. And then on the way home today, we heard about it on the radio. How well did you know the Turners? Oh, casually. You know, you see them in the elevator and say hello, or they get out of a cab you get into. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Turner was shot Thursday night. I believe uh, you were here in town then. Yeah, we didn't leave until Friday afternoon. Well, sometime around midnight. We're not sure the exact time. Did you hear a revolver shot? My husband's a perfectionist about his hi-fi. We wouldn't have heard anything because this apartment's soundproofed. Uh-huh. What did you... What did you think of the Turners as people? Uh, as a couple? Mrs. Turner is a beautiful woman. I don't know about him. Oh? Polite enough in the hall and lobby, but I never really liked him. Mm. Had a feeling he could be pretty unpleasant if he wanted. On the day of the shooting, or that night... Did you see any strangers around the building? Oh, in New York, everyone's a stranger. How do you remember them? Only if they're acting suspiciously or someone's different. Uh, for instance, last Thursday in this neighborhood, did you see a man with red hair? Real red hair. Well, yes, I saw him. What was he doing? Walking down East Vanders in the rain. That's all, just walking and looking around as if he were searching for an address. Dying Hugh's hair brown changed his appearance remarkably. But very subtly, his attitude had also begun to change. Perhaps it was because my memories were of a younger, more innocent time. When the future was spread safely before us. Ours for the taking. But by the time we left Fredericksburg, he'd become shifty. Suspicious. I was driving... headed? Richmond, Virginia. Why didn't we stay where we were? What was wrong with Fredericksburg? 
We can't stay in one place too long, and we're too close to New York, and we need money. What's needing money got to do with driving to Richmond? I have to begin selling my jewelry, Hugh. I don't want to do it in the same town where we were married. You're smart. I worked, you know, while you were gone. I had a good job before I married Albert. I made decisions. I functioned on an executive level. Better being stuck with me. Is that what you mean? No, that's not what I mean. I love you. You know that. You must know that. Why, why else are we together? We're going to stay together. I'll take care of anyone who comes between us again. In Richmond, I found a company, the Dixie Jewelers, which bought and sold old jewelry. The man was nice and honest, but I was shocked at what I received from my cluster diamond earrings. How much did you get? Six hundred dollars. They were insured for thirty-five hundred. Where are we going now? You decide. You tell me where you think we should go. Mexico? We can get into Mexico and live there together. They'd never find us. Do you speak Spanish? No. Well, I don't either. We'd be terribly conspicuous. Well, then you decide. You pick a place. Just so we're together. That's all I want. That's all that's ever mattered to me. Do you think everything's going to be all right? Why do you ask? Aren't you sure? I don't know. I'm no longer sure of anything. Those years and all those years—they take it away from you. Police work takes a lot of sweat and a bit of luck. We got our first break because New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut cooperate closely on car information. A woman answering Mercedes Turner's description had bought a used car in Jersey City, Jersey plates. We checked out the name and address she'd given for transfer of title. We found there was no such person and no such address. A teletype to the Delaware State Bridge Authority brought us further information. A trooper remembered the car because it was driven by a man with flaming red hair. The car had crossed the bridge at the end of the Jersey Turnpike. From there, it might have gone into Delaware, Maryland, or Virginia. The car description and the jersey plate numbers. Good. So there really is a red-haired man, huh? No ghost, a real live person. Hugh Rohan. I checked the registrar at his college. Annixter? Right. Got his records. Applied for entrance 1964 pre-med. Excellent grades, high school, Germain, Illinois. Lacking credits in Latin and chemistry, admission denied. Which is unusual for students from small town high schools. Well, how do you make it up? Tutoring, usually. And that's what happened to Rohan, huh? Well, he didn't have the chance. Wasn't in school, so he was eligible for the draft. Oh, lousy. Instead of going to Annixter, Rohan went to Vietnam. We drove all day under a sky the color of gray worsted. Occasionally, the wind tore narrow rifts through the overcast for a watery sun to peep through. We stayed that night at a motel. Our room was as impersonal as a rented locker. We tried having a drink to help us forget everything that had happened. It didn't work. Are you sorry you came? No. 
I had to come. You can't be sorry for what had to be. It's dark out. Yes. What are you listening for? Do you believe in, uh, in extrasensory perception? I don't know. Sometimes, maybe. But it'd take a lot of proving. I had a feeling this afternoon, a sudden, uh, sort of peculiar, odd, like, like intuition. A message said... The chase has started. They're looking for a couple. There's no way you can know that. Oh, yes. Yes, there is. The cons used to talk about it. I, I didn't believe it. But I do now. No. There's no way you know that's true. It's like telepathy. As if, as if some cop's thoughts are being transmitted to me. Not all the time. Just now and then. Just a little bit. Now and then. Where are you going? There's a car parked out there. Michigan plates. I'm going to get rid of our Jersey ones. Here are the records and Rohan's prints from his army induction. He disappeared on a patrol in Vietnam in 1965. Missing in action, presumed dead. Mm -hmm. We got anything on our wanted flyers? I think we did, Will. A couple of days before Albert Turner was shot... Three cons broke out of Bodo Prison in Canada. Now, two of them were recaptured, but one is still at large. And that one's got red hair. What name? John Red Cargill. Siemens papers. Three to ten for false passport, illegal entry, and smuggling. He served seven when he split. Cargill's prints match Rohan's. Picture of Cargill? Correspondence Bureau received a telephoto copy of him from Montreal. Right here. Yeah. It's funny. I knew he'd look like this. Good features, clean cut, sensitive mouth, eyes. I could see him in my mind. Yeah. Guy like that, seven years in prison. <laughs> He'd probably crack open pretty easy. But, well, the trouble is, we, we don't really know if he shot Albert Turner. Rohan and the Clinton girl were married when they were kids or old man. And no, the marriage is... Wait a minute. And the woman's safety deposit was open. But... What's the matter? What's bugging you? This list of contents. Insurance policies, empty silk jewel case, title to co-op, uh, here we are. Why would she keep an empty envelope? Oh, probably she didn't bother to throw it out. Or maybe there was a return address on it. Who are you calling? Banners, DA's office. Find out if there's a name and address on that envelope. We didn't stop again until we reached Kansas City. We had run from the Atlantic to the Midlands. Hugh's mood varied from moment to moment. Sometimes he was cheerful and optimistic, and I had hopes against my better sense that perhaps something would work out for us. But then he'd plunge into gloom and despair. And try as I might, I, I could see no future for us except to run until we were caught. 
Perhaps he felt the same way in that tiny Kansas City hotel room. Hugh, please put that gun away. I need it. Reminds me of prison. What I may need to do so I don't go back there. You have to get rid of it. It's direct evidence. I won't let matters get that far. Why did you marry Turner? I told you why. You were gone so long. I tried to convince myself that I didn't love you anymore. But the moment you came back, it was the same way it had always been. Isn't that enough? But now you're... What do you think? What are you thinking? That I'm different? That I'm not the same? We've both changed, darling. I no longer know what you think or feel either. Both of us together... Possibly we can make one whole person. Spanners in the DA's office gave me the name on the empty envelope we'd found in Mercedes Turner's safety deposit box, Sayer and Bates' attorneys. I talked to Arnold Bates, the junior partner. He was very cooperative. He told me he'd handled an Enoch Arden decree for Mercedes Clinton against Hugh Rohan not quite two years earlier. The marriage had been secret, and Mercedes Clinton Rohan had wanted the decree kept secret. Her father was an old man in poor health, and she hadn't heard from her husband, Hugh, in seven years. He was presumed dead. You mean they were married a second time? Right. After Lyman Clinton had the first marriage annulled, they were married again secretly, just before Rohan was sent to Vietnam. Where he goes out on a patrol and disappears. To service again in a Canadian jail under another name. Uh Uh-huh. Well, whatever names they use, Will, we got a description, we got his prints, and we know their car. We're going to get them. Yes, I think we will. Any reports on the jewelry? Not yet. Keep after it. They're going to need money. During the day, for tonight, the temperature for Kansas City and vicinity should dip to 39 degrees. It will be cloudy tomorrow with a chance of snow flurries. How long are we going to stay here? Oh, another day or so. Got to move on. Get out of the country. We need money to do that. Hugh, don't the police get reports on pawned articles? Yeah. So I've heard. Instead of pawning my things, I'll run an ad in the paper and sell them myself. That's dangerous. No, I don't think so. Kansas City is a big place. The police won't pay any attention to a newspaper ad. And then we'll move on? Yes. Hugh, I promised I wouldn't ask you about prison, and I'll keep that promise. I don't want to talk about it. But we must get out of the country. To do that, we'll need passports. Well? Do you know anyone? Someone who could get us passports? In prison, I knew... We have to leave the country. Yeah. Yeah. I know someone who might. But uh, it's expensive. We'll get the money. We have to buy passports. I think we've run as far as we can. Tomorrow at this time... 
Rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, The Wife of the Red-Haired Man. I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. Listening to the Hollywood Radio Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour. Heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. This week, in Bill S. Ballinger's The Wife of the Red Haired Man, Patty Duke Aston is Mercedes, John Aston is Rohan, and Howard Duff is Detective Williams. Featured in the cast are Harold Gould as Detective Scores, Mary Jane Croft as Clara, Janet Waldo as Mrs. Layton and Ruth Ashton Taylor as the weather girl. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is the executive producer and Karen Lee Cohn, associate producer. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Colas Enterprises production. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow, and once again, rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. Radio Theater. Every day at this time, Monday through Friday, a J.M. Colas Enterprises production, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Bill S. Ballinger's best-selling novel, The Pursuit of a Damned Couple... The wife of the red-haired man. Starring Patty Dugaston. John Astor. And Howard Duff. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. returned after having been missing for seven years to find his wife Mercedes married to Albert Turner. In a confrontation, Rohan panics and kills Turner. Mercedes, still in love with the red-haired man, flees with him, paying for their escape by selling her jewels. 
As their flight continues, Rohan subtly changes, losing his assurance, his confidence, even much of his ability to make decisions. Assigned to the case are two New York City detectives, Scores of Homicide, and Williams of the 19th Precinct. They have been painstakingly putting together the puzzle of Albert Turner's murder by tracing Mercedes Turner and Hugh Rohan's earlier life. Their trail has taken them from New York to Connecticut to Virginia. But first, this word. Time is what's needed in police work. Time for lab work, time to check out clues, time to find witnesses, time to get replies to the hundreds of flyers that are put out to locate stolen or missing property. Two weeks after Albert Turner's murder, the Missing Property Bureau called me regarding a batch of jewelry bought by a New York wholesaler. One of the items was a pair of diamond cluster earrings sold to the New York outfit by a shop in Richmond, Virginia. The earrings were those described by the insurance company as belonging to Mercedes Turner, part of the jewelry she'd taken from her safe deposit box the morning after her husband's murder. I flew down to Richmond to talk to a man named Town who'd bought the earrings from the Turner woman. If you'd uh, look at this sketch, please, Mr. Town. Does the woman seem familiar to you? Hmm. Uh, yes, sir, it looks like her, sort of. But, uh, you know, the first gentleman I talked to in New York mentioned the name Turner. lady I wrote out a check to was a Mrs. Brewer. As soon as the check clears, I'd like a copy of her endorsement. Compare it with our suspect's handwriting. Make sure we've got the right person. All right. I'd be pleased to help you. How'd the lady react to the money you gave her? Was she disappointed, you suggested? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was indeed. But then they always are, you know person don't take into account markup and resale prices and so on and so on. She was disappointed, I'd say. But she accepted your offer. Oh, yes, yes. We've a good reputation, whether she knew it or not. I offered her a fair price, and after a few minutes of debating with herself, she accepted the check. Was she alone, or was there a man with her? She was alone, sir. If someone was with her, he stayed outside because she was alone. We stayed in Kansas City while I advertised that my jewelry and mink coat were for sale. Where he would wanted to run, to move constantly. Now, without explanation, he changed and seemed content to stay. Not content, perhaps, but at least no longer argumentative. Then one evening, we were sitting in our room having a drink together. When suddenly he began to talk about what had happened. Stupid. You see, I always wanted to be a doctor. All my life. To help people, not kill them. Well, you know, in a war, you see things. There are things you have to do. Terrible things. Brutal, awful things. The army reported you missing in action. Then, after a few years, they told me you were presumed dead. Well, what happened was... See, this one day, we were out on a search and destroy. I was on one flank, and it was all quiet and pretty. I remember a jet, a passenger jet, Air France, I think, flying overhead, filled with civilians going about their peaceful business. And... What happened that day, honey? 
All hell broke loose. I don't know. They, they must have been waiting for us. I got separated. I, I, I couldn't find anyone. The air was black. Men screaming. Did you ever hear a man scream in pain? No. You see, it's, it's, it's not that I was yellow, but all that blood and terror. Pain. I left there. I, I, I just wandered off. The army didn't find you? No, no way. It was like an animal crawling through the jungle, hiding, afraid for my life. Somehow, I, I, I don't know how, I, I got to the coast, to where the merchant ships were anchored, waiting to get into the harbor and unload. That's where I met Cargill. Merchant seaman on the job ashore. An old tanker. He told me he'd give me his papers and get me a berth on an outgoing freighter to Montreal if I'd help him. Help him how? Well, he wanted me to deliver some uncut rubies to a fence there. Do you, do you understand? I, I, you see, I, I didn't do it for money, not for anything, except to get away from there and, and get, get home, home to you. That's all I wanted. Do you understand? Yes, Hugh. Of course. But how... Exactly. How? That's where it all comes apart. I was caught before I made the delivery. Cargill hadn't given me a package of rubies. I was carrying heroin. Didn't you tell the police? No, no, no. I kept Cargill's papers and shut up. You see, I, I thought I'd serve my time and not tell anyone, not even you, until it was over. And then we could go away somewhere, and I, I'd take another name, study medicine, and, and be a doctor the way I always wanted. Look at me, Mercy. Yes, dear. Is it too late? I don't know. You don't blame me? No. In New Orleans, there's a man who can get us passports, but it, it, it's expensive. We'll sell more jewelry. And someone will buy the coat. He's after us, you know. Who? A cop. I told you, I know when he's onto something, it's it's like the two of us are connected. Hugh, he he may be after us. We don't know what they found out. I'm gonna paint the car blue. And get an, gonna get another set of plates. I'll be back. After we recover the earrings, I guess Mercedes Turner would confine future sales to private parties. If she'd been as upset as the jeweler described her over not receiving a retail price for her merchandise, she'd advertise and take her chance on private buyer sales. That would also apply to her fur coat. One thing for sure, they were going to need all the money they could get their hands on to keep running. 
I judged they might have gone south from Richmond. I figured it was more likely they'd head west to get as far away as possible from New York. I arranged with the Bureau of Information to subscribe to a clipping service covering 18 cities. Places like Louisville, Kansas City, St. Louis, Oklahoma City, through the area where I figured they'd most likely be. We wanted to look in the personal columns of those local newspapers at items for sale. There was a three-day lag before the first clippings arrived. Scores and I began wading through a box of the stuff. Oh, boy. Never realized so many people had so much stuff for sale. Wearing you down, huh? Well, it's beginning to well. Look at this. Watches for sale. Also necklaces, bracelets, pendants, brooches, earrings. <laughs> Anything your heart desires is from sale coast to coast. And this. Mink coat. Turner woman had a mink coat. And they were addressing the ad just the Jefferson Hotel, Kansas City, room 1417 in the hotel phone number. You suppose it's them? Bless area codes. No way you can tell where the double the call's coming from. You're nervous, Will. Yep. Good morning, Jefferson Hotel. Uh, room 1417, please. Will you hold? That line is busy. Uh, yes, I'll wait. They ringing? Yeah, room phone's busy. I'm on hold. Why don't you pick up the extension? Yeah. I can ring your party now. Thank you. Hello. Room 1417? Yes. You the party offering a mink coat for sale? No. There was an ad last Sunday's newspaper advertising a fur coat for sale? No, I don't know anything about it. I just checked in last night. Sorry. Well, uh, get the hotel operator for me again, will you please? Yeah, sure. Operator, may I help you? Yes, operator. This is the New York police. Uh, who was the party checked out of room 1417 yesterday? Uh, one moment, sir. I'll check that for you. You think it was them, huh? Almost sure. Uh, sir, the party registered as Mr. and Mrs. Y.V. Garfield, North Sneedham Drive, Detroit, Michigan. Thank you, operator. Okay, I'll check it out with Detroit. Eight, five, and even, they're phony. I'll get some more information from the Kansas City cops. We stayed longer in Kansas City than we planned. We moved from hotel to hotel, running ads in the paper, and I sold off my jewelry piece by piece. Winter held Missouri in a bleak embrace. The city tried to cheer itself with holiday decorations. Strings of lights and vivid displays from the plaza to the downtown area. But the approach of Christmas brought little joy to Hugh or me. It was then that he began to disappear for hours at a time. I assumed he was walking or reading in the library. Anything to be out of that confining hotel room. Uh, uh you the uh, store manager? Uh, your assistant, Davis. Uh, the, uh, the sign in your window uh, for help. You need a stock boy, $2 an hour. I'll, I'll take it, Mr. Davis. Uh, what's your name? 
Tufts. All right, Tufts, full or part-time? Um, uh, part-time, but, uh, as many hours as I can get in. In stock rooms downstairs, report to the chief clerk, get a time card, punch in and out, you'll be paid every day. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Davis. Y.V. Garfield and wife, North Sneedham Drive, Detroit, didn't exist. No such persons, no such address. The KC cops furnished us with a description of the couple which fit, loosely, Rohan and Mercedes Turner. Except no red hair. But I'd already figured he'd have dyed it by now. Scores and I brought our chiefs up to date, and an hour later, we were on a plane to Kansas City. You think he's still there? Well, if not, we'll pick up the end of the string. Well, if they have busted out, where do you suppose he might be heading, Well, Mexico? Ah, oh, she's too smart for Mexico. They'll go out of the country, somewhere they speak English, England, Australia, New Zealand. Well, maybe not England. The cops are too good there. Hey, you think they still got the same car? Last we heard it was a great compact, Michigan plates. That might mean something. What? In Virginia, they use New Jersey plates. In Kansas City, they have Michigan plates. Yeah, might change again, huh? Kansas City, Missouri, just across the river from Kansas City, Kansas. My hunch is they'll pick Kansas place. Less obvious? Exactly. Mercedes Turner's a cutie. Money smart. Not too sure about Rohan. Hmm. You really zeroed in on him, didn't you? From the beginning, before there was any proof, I knew he was there. I just knew what he looked like. I bet how he thinks. He's our best bet. The weakest? Yeah. Yeah, put it like that. Rohan's intelligent, but he's emotional. Poor control. He's going to break sooner or later. He's more of a drag than an asset. If Mercedes Turner were all by herself, that'd be another story. Gradually, I sold off the jewelry, and we began to accumulate the money we needed to get our passports and arrange for passage out of the country. Hugh, meanwhile, continued to disappear each day. But I must confess that it was easier not having him underfoot in each of those small hotel rooms we occupied. Well, good morning. Didn't think you were going to show. Oh, sorry, Mr. Davis. Christmas is day after tomorrow. Well, I'd be glad. You said that uh, uh, working here, I I can get a 20% discount? Yes, Tops, anything in the store. Now, get with it. Restock counter 15 with perfume. Uh, yes, sir. As soon as I get my jacket. We arrived in Kansas City before noon. The local cops gave us plenty of cooperation. We started checking hotels, big and little, good and bad, a million of them. At some of them, they remembered a couple staying a few days, running an ad to sell jewelry, then checking out. At the Jefferson, there was an unclaimed letter for the Garfields from a Mrs. Arms, return address in Kansas City. I went to check it out, but nobody was home. Downtown garages were covered for a three-year-old gray compact with Michigan or Kansas plates. By then, it was dark. Walking to our hotel, I passed a big super drugstore. I needed some things, went in, walked back toward men's toiletries. Can I help you? Yes, I uh, need a shaving kit and some blades. And... How about a new electric razor? No, just uh, blades, cream, uh, aftershave. Something wrong? I'm over there uh, by the perfume counter. From the stockroom. Has he been here long? Most of us are extra help for the Christmas rush. Is there anything else? Uh, no, I don't think so. Hey, where'd he go? 
Why, back to the stockroom, I guess. Where? Where's that? In the basement. Hey, your things! Don't you want them? Uh, a guy just come through here? Yeah, Tufts, like a rocket in his tail, same as you. Which way? The alley. South now? Yes. New Orleans, I guess. Not directly. Where's the map of Louisiana? In the glove compartment. It isn't. I remember I had it in our room at the hotel. We'll get another one. If the policeman had tried to arrest you in the drugstore, what would you have done? Shot him. Would that have helped? There'll always be another. I'll get as many as I can. Let me see the gun. Okay. Be careful. How many shots? Seven. One in the chamber, six in the clip. Hugh, look. A truck stalled up there. Left his lights on. No one around. He probably went for help. Stop the car. Get get the Nebraska plates. Okay. Right away. I'll keep the gun in my purse. At least I knew Rohan and the Turner woman were in Kansas City. Why had they stayed over? Well, I figured she was still trying to sell more jewelry. I beat it to the newspaper office. They were making out the morning edition. There was an ad, as I expected. Trowbridge Hotel, room number, with a diamond bracelet for sale. When Scores and I got there, we'd missed them by half an hour. The local cops and the highway patrol sent out an all-points bulletin. Meanwhile, I went out to see Mrs. Arms, who wrote the unclaimed letter. She was at home now... Pleasant-faced woman, mixed gray and blonde hair, living in a big, comfortable fieldstone house, log burning in the fireplace. Why, yes, I went down to Mrs. Garfield's room at the hotel. I was interested in the fur coat she wanted to sell. But you didn't buy it? No, it was a lovely coat. I, I made her an offer, but she didn't take it. Well, I came home and thought it over, and later I tried to call her, but there was no answer. So I dropped her a note offering more. Mrs. Arms... When you were in the hotel room, uh, did you see anything unusual? No, nothing. Pieces of luggage, closed, toilet articles on the dresser. Think, please try to remember. It may not seem important, but anything other than personal items. Well, now let me see. There was a, a writing desk, uh, something on it, mm-hmm. um, a, a red cover, blue and white letters... Uh, folded uh, a map of what mrs Arms? what map uh, let's see uh, uh, louisiana that's it louisiana new orleans what town is this i don't know how far are we from kansas city about 40 miles i'm worried They must have roadblocks up further down. We just keep going until we hit them. No, wait. That bus in front of the cafe. 
You let me off here, middle of the block. What for? I'm catching that bus south. We have to split up here. It's the only way to get through. Wait a minute. No. Take this money. Meet me in New Orleans, the old hotel on Dupelo Street. Use the name Graham. When? Christmas. Be careful. this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, The Wife of the Red-Haired Man. I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. You've been listening to the Hollywood Radio Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour. Heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. This week, in Bill S. Ballinger's The Wife of the Red-Haired Man, Patty Dupaston is Mercedes, John Aston is Rohan, and Howard Duff is Detective Williams. Featured in the cast are Harold Gould as Detective Scores, Byron Kane as Town, Paula Winslow as Mrs. Arms, Jerry Fogle as Davis, and Cynthia Adler as the clerk. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is the executive producer and Karen Lee Cohn, associate producer. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher. It is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Colas Enterprises production. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again... Rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. The Hollywood Radio Theater. through Friday, a J.M. Colas Enterprises production, the Hollywood Radio Theater, presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Bill S. Ballinger's best-selling novel, The Pursuit of a Damned Couple. The Wife of the Red-Haired Man. Starring Patty Dugaston. John Astor. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour.
Now for the concluding episode of The Wife of the Red-Haired Man. After seven years in prison, Hugh Rohan has returned to claim his wife, Mercedes. In a confrontation with her second husband, Albert Turner, Rohan panics and murders Turner. Out of her love for Rohan, Mercedes Turner collects her jewels and her fur coat, and together the lovers flee. But the years in prison have changed the young red-haired boy into a hollow, broken man. Two New York City detectives, scores of homicide, and Williams of the 19th Precinct have been assigned to the case. After long weeks of painstaking work, they've traced the couple to Kansas City. But once again, Mercedes Turner and Hugh Rohan evade them by splitting up. She to take a bus to New Orleans, he to drive their car alone. But first, this word. I'd been right. Roadblocks had been set up on highways leading to New Orleans. But the police were looking for two people in a gray compact car. And the bus I was on was stopped only long enough for an officer to question the driver. He was waiting for me in a nearly deserted hotel on Tupelo Street. He was in bed, his temperature raging. He seemed fuzzy with his fever. Although he did struggle out of bed to greet me. So glad to see you. I thought you weren't going to come. You're sick. Oh, no, it's just, just a cold. I froze driving that heap without my coat. You were right about the roadblocks. Come on now. Get back in bed, honey. Okay. Oh, that's better. Whew. It's hot. I'll get some aspirin. No, 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 that's okay. Stay with me. That's the most important medicine. That you stay with me. All right. What about the roadblock? Uh, they stopped me. If I'd had my gun, I'd have shot my way through, but they didn't even ask questions. Man alone, blue car instead of gray, different plates. Hugh, you, you said you would have shot your way through? I told you, Mercy, I won't go back, and I won't be separated from you again. Here. A Christmas present for you. Perfume. My favorite perfume. You remembered. I can't ever forget anything about you. You want me to ask where you got the money? All right. Where? Kansas City. I had a part-time job. Stock boy. Just to buy me a Christmas present. Is there a better reason to work? I think it's the best present... Oh, I have something for you, too. A pipe. With a bowl turned in silver. You remembered. Honey. Remember before we were married? You told me if you had me, and you were a doctor who smoked a silver-trimmed pipe, you'd be content was all you wanted. Yeah. 
Merry Christmas, honey. <laughs> you don't, please. <laughs> I please don't cry, please. What happened? Mercy, what happened? <laughs> I don't know. Life. Life happened. <laughs> unfair. Yeah. Mercy. Hmm? You, you, you remember I told you that I knew what the cop was thinking? Do you remember? Yes. Well, we got through the roadblock, but he hasn't stopped. He's on to us. He knows what we're planning. Shh. Yeah, no, he's going to find me. And you know... Hugh, please. Shh, please. When he finds me, I'm going to kill him. Rohan and the woman got through the roadblock somehow. Probably repainted the car and changed placements again. Split up, perhaps, only one of them was in the car when it passed the block. Scores and I went straight into New Orleans. I knew my man by then well enough to know that he needed a port city from which to escape the country. Oh, they'll ship out from here. Yeah. Well, they'll sure have a fantastic selection of ships. They're all covered. Every ship, boat, plane, bus, everything's covered. Well, you know, Will, you're assuming they're here in New Orleans. They're here. I'll tell you something else. They'll be looking for passage to an English-speaking country. Someplace where they won't be conspicuous. So, what's the game plan? We're here. We wait. They've got to move. They can't stay. And the moment they try to leave the city, we've got them. Murder one. We moved from the hotel the next morning, although Hugh still had a fever. I found an old rooming house, a private place the police would overlook. We were the only paying guests. It was a marvelous old home run by an ancient southern lady who appeared too frail to keep up such a place. But she cleaned and cooked and tended her overgrown garden. And for two weeks, Hugh and I didn't stir from that house. Finally, of course, Hugh had to make contact with Bert Crossley, the convict he'd known in prison. The man who'd get us our passports. We were disappointed to find that Bert was back in prison. But he had a brother, Whip on the bar just outside the view carré and might be able to help us. Hugh went to see him. Friend of Ber Brother Bert, huh? Come on back to my office. What do you want? I... I serve time with Bert in Bordeaux. I'm, uh... I'm Red Cargill. Let's get rid of a question. You hot? Plenty. I and my wife want to get out of the country. With a lady alone, that makes it rough. I can pay for it, rough or not. You you have five grand. That's what it'll take for two passports. I have it. Where do you want to go? Australia, New Zealand, any place you speak English. England? No, no, not England or Canada. Okay, don't come back here again. Where can I reach you? At this number. 
That's what we're saying. I don't know how long it'll take, but when I call you, be ready to move fast and have the five grand ready. Agreed? Yes, agreed. Scrubs and I sat there for three weeks. There was no sign of Rohan or the woman. Hotels, nightclubs, planes, trains, buses, ships, all covered, not a trace. I wasn't worried yet. I knew Rohan was someplace in the city. I could feel it. Sometimes he seemed so near, I half expected to bump into him around the next corner. Scores, however, had a problem. I gotta get back, Will. Homicide bugging you? Well, the office is swamped. When are you leaving? Flight this afternoon. What about you? You gonna stay? You can depend on it. We waited for Whit Crosley's call, afraid to leave the house for a minute. One of us must always be close to the phone, Hugh said. As the days passed, he refused to sleep, certain that Crosley's call would come in the middle of the night and he wouldn't hear it. And so his tension increased directly because of his lack of sleep. He paced the room continuously, back and forth, pausing only to listen for a telephone that never rang. Please, honey, please lie down. Has that cop gotten to him? Is that what's happened? How could he? Because he knows what I'm doing. I told you that. I told you he knows everything I think, every move I make. Hugh. Hello? Yeah, yeah. Uh, get down here right away. You're leaving an hour. Just you. But my wife. Listen, no time to waste. Can't get you to Australia, but a ship I know. Standing off. Gonna drop a crewman for an emergency operation. I can fix the captain. Where to? Ireland. You better take it. The ship's not berthed here, but I can get you aboard in the launch. She's got a day's call in Miami, and your wife can join you there. Mercy? Take it. It's a good idea. Okay, I'll be right down. After scores left, I spent my time haunting the docks. A hundred times I thought I saw them, walking along the street or hurrying out onto a waiting ship, but it wasn't them. And gradually, a strange feeling occupied me. I lost the conviction that they were in New Orleans. Somehow, in some way, I felt certain they'd eluded me, slipped away. But how? How had they accomplished it? I made one last circle, walking from pier to wharf, covering as much of the waterfront as I could, one last time. Then, tired and thirsty, I stopped in a small bar, a place where seamen hang out. I met a Jamaican, a wiper, bought him a drink. Charles! Oh, need this drink, man. Just out of the infirmary, appendicitis. Ruptured? That's rough. Captain had to set me ashore between Galveston and Miami. Nasty beat of business. What ship? Demured out of Sydney. Captain Larson's master now. Now I need another berth. That shouldn't be too hard. No. I'm sorry I missed it, though. Sailing to Galway and Dublin. Never been there, you know. You said the uh, Demured was sailing to Ireland? Right, oh. First port of call, Galway. Any stops between? One day only, Miami. Of course. Drink up. Galloway, of course.
I drove alone from New Orleans to Miami, not daring to stop. The captain had arranged for me to be brought aboard, and soon I was with Hugh again. Two weeks after that, we were dropped on the shore outside Galway, an old Irish port there almost from the beginning of time. We drove from Connaught to Connemara, through hamlets with names that fall from the lips like notes of music. Moycullen, Chindilly, Derenin, Balina Hinch, moors and rolling hills, and the grey rock crags of inlets sprayed by the lead-colored waters of the Atlantic. Near a tiny crossroads settlement by the sea, we found a little three-room cottage, whitewashed, cleansed by rains and bleached by the sun. We could run no further. That's where we would stay. One night, eating our dinner by a turf fire. Take it away, Mercy. I'm not hungry. Do you hear it? There's something walking abroad tonight. Your imagination? No. Listen. It's only the wind. I hear it. It's there. It's the past, out there in the night. I'm going to boil some water and and fill fill the tub. A hot bath, honey. Good for your nerves. Come talk to me. I'm busy. To the police... What are you doing? If... If anything happens... Accident... Anything... Look in my pocket. What are you saying? Only... That I love you. To me, it hadn't made a scheduled stop in departure in New Orleans. She wasn't carried to the Port Bulletin. That's how I missed her. By the time I'd gotten the information on her, she'd reached Dublin and sailed on. The police and I are under a national organization. We alerted them, and ten days later, they informed us they'd traced the couple. I wired Superintendent O'Hara not to arrest them yet, just to keep them under wraps. On an island, there's a small chance of escape. With warrants for the arrest of Hugh Rohan and Mercedes Turner and papers for extradition, I flew to Ireland. From Shannon, I took a bus to Limerick. Limerick to Galway by rail. In Galway City, I was met by Inspector Green. You have the necessary papers? Yes, I have. All in order. I've arranged for you to stay at the hotel. The papers will be approved this night. Oh, you're uh, not planning to pick them up until tomorrow? No, it's a bit of a drive to the cottage. Here's my car. Are you carrying a gun? Well, we don't carry them here. Well, you better tomorrow. It won't be necessary. He's armed. I know the man. He'll shoot it out. That would be foolish of him. Well, is it all right for me to carry mine? If you insist. Yes, I can arrange it. It's most unusual. I found it impossible to sleep that night. I've been after them for so long. For nearly two months, I'd held on to an invisible tether, the other end loosely fastened to Rohan and Mercedes Turner. Now at last, when morning came, 
final slack could be gathered in. I lay in the soft bed wondering what Rohan was doing. Did he know it was his last night of freedom? Did he hold Mercedes Turner in his arms, warm in his love? Through that night, Hugh lay close to me. He spoke only once. I'm cold, he said. Please keep me warm. I kissed him. And his lips were like ice. In the morning, he arose early, shaved, dressed with care. We sat together at the table having our coffee. It had begun to rain. What are you planning to do today? I don't know. There's a beautiful abbey at Kylemore. Shall we go see it? Perhaps. But it's a gloomy day. The rain will stop later on. Maybe then. Hugh? Those cars outside. Yes. I've been expecting them. Give me my gun. Hugh, no. Please, no. your purse? No more killing, Hugh, please. You're officers of the law. You're under arrest. Don't, Hugh. You're not a murderer. Don't. They won't separate us. Not ever again. Hugh, no! I stood in front of the cottage door. The rain splashing against my collar running down my neck. The end of the trail. Line drawn in. Suddenly the door swung open and Rohan's revolver stared me in the face. I threw myself to the ground. When he fired the second time, I shot him. Williams! Are you hurt? No. Lucky bit for you. Yes. Yes, isn't it? Yeah, if you don't mind... Uh... I'll go in the laundry. Get the woman. Are you ready? You Mercedes Turner? I'm Mercedes Rohan. Dead. Yes. Did you know there were blanks in his gun? Yes, I knew. Did you put them there? Yes. So he wouldn't kill again. He didn't know. I tried to stop him. Maybe it's just as well. Williams, this was in his pocket. Thank you. He said, in case of an accident. To the police. New York City. I alone shot and killed Albert Turner. My wife, Mercedes Turner Rohan is not responsible in any way. 
It signed you, Rohan. <laughs> you. This is Richard Krenna speaking. Next week, I play Stroud on the Hollywood Radio Theater's brand new zero-hour presentation of Desperate Witness. That's quite a title, and I think quite a show. Who is this Desperate Witness? Are you bringing up that thing again, throwing Alice in my face? You never forget Alice, do you? That was Deborah Wally. She plays Pauline. Also starring in the cast are Keenan Wynn as Janeth and Julie Adams as Georgette. Tune in Monday. I know it's a story you won't want to miss. That concludes this week's production of The Zero Hour. Bill S. Ballinger's The Wife of the Red-Haired Man. Next week, we'll begin another exciting dramatization of a tale of mystery and suspense. We'll tell our story in five days, at the same time, Monday through Friday. So on Monday, rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour, heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. This week, in Bill S. Ballinger's The Wife of the Red-Haired Man, Patty Duke Aston was Mercedes, John Aston was Rohan, Howard Duff was Detective Williams. Featured in the cast were Harold Gould as Detective Scores, Stanley Adams was Crosley, Don Pedro Carley was the Sailor, and Richard Peel was Green. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is the executive producer and Karen Lee Cohen, associate producer. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Colas Enterprises production. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in Monday and once again... Rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour.